Well, welcome everybody. We are very, very glad that you're able to be with us this morning here at Wilshire. Uh, we're really glad that everybody that was down at Quartz Mountain has made it back. I've heard already preliminary reports. It was a great, great, great experience. Uh, I think my voice is completely recovered, and so I believe I'm going to get all the way to the end of the sermon. Some of you actually liked the short sermon I've heard, but anyway, uh, so you can pray for a miracle, but uh, I, I do apologize for that, and I know that was scary. It was scarier to look at, I'm pretty sure, than it was to experience, but uh, thanks for everybody who was very kind while I was recuperating. Um, how many of you like jokes? Okay. You don't have to raise your hands. That's fine. If I ask the question, how many of you like dad jokes? <laughs> okay, a lot of dads raise their hands on that one. It's interesting. <laughs> uh, if we talk about dad jokes and dad dancing and dad wisdom, adding the modifier dad to it seems to, in our culture at least, create a particular flavor to what's being described. And it's not good. Happy Father's Day. <laughs> and there's a lot of reasons for that. There's a lot of things going on, and we don't have time to get into all of that. But I want to say something to the dads today. God has blessed fathers and mothers, but today it's Father's Day, so we're going to talk about that. God has blessed fathers with an absolutely irreplaceable, unique ability to teach and train their children. The culture undermines dads partly because it fears and is jealous of the unique power that fathers have to influence and train and shape and mold their children. And so today I want to focus on just a few things that the Bible says about that. This is part of our series of doing the hard work of love. Uh, and... And the book of Proverbs is just full of this, this idea. Because the book of Proverbs is kind of in the voice, of, a lot of it's in the voice of a father trying to pass wisdom down to a son. There are other places in scriptures we could go for this, but Proverbs is just has so much of this. So that's where we're going to stay today. If you have your Bibles, open up, and we're going to look at several passages in Proverbs. In the earlier chapters is where I'm going to stay. Proverbs 6, the father's talking to his son. He's trying to think of things that will really help his child to do better. And he says, how long will you lie there, you sluggard? I immediately thought of a teenage boy when I thought of sluggard there. I don't, I don't know that that's, that's probably a stereotype. But how long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a thief, 
and scarcity like an armed man. Okay, that's actually a saying that's repeated elsewhere in the book of Proverbs. So it was a biggie. Uh, it, was, it was one that was important to, the, to the, the one or ones who put Proverbs together. And the idea is this, that a father loves their children when they teach them how to work hard. It's okay to teach your children and to show them how to work hard. Who else is going to do that, honestly? Way back in the 60s, there was a theoretician who, who really kind of made his bones with this brand new media television, uh, Marshall McLuhan. And his slogan was, the medium is the message. He says, whatever medium you use to communicate, you think you're using it, but it shapes, it constrains what you're allowed to say using that medium. That's actually kind of a profound thing to think about. It's, it's an old insight. It actually goes at least as far back as Socrates. But the idea is if you are trying to say something, the tools you're using to say it, say it kind of force you into a particular shape. So for instance, how hard is it to be an excellent athlete? How much hard work does it take? to excel as an athlete. How much of an athlete's life is taken up with that last two minutes of the game where the victory is achieved sometimes? And how much of an athlete's life is taken up with the sweat and tears and pain of working out and preparation and practice. Well, whatever percentage you just came up with, show me a movie or a TV show that represents that percentage. You know, what the movies and the TVs are going to show all of us is the last two minutes of glory. And if we get any inkling that that took 98% of the athlete's time working and sweating and practicing, it will be a 10-second montage, you know, some workout, some <laughs> a little bit of the, you know, maybe a beautifully lit, backlit shot of sweat drip, you know, whatever. And that's what we get. The media can't afford to pass on the message that life requires hard work. It can't make a living doing that, and it's interested in making money. It's really not that interested in your kids' well-being. But fathers and mothers, you are interested in your kids' well-being. And so one of the hard jobs of loving parents is to say, it's okay to work hard. It is okay to work hard. I want you to look at my life and realize I work hard. And I want you to look at the things in your life and realize you need to work hard. It's okay to do that. It's okay to be in situations where there are other people who get things quicker 
and have talents you don't have, it's okay for you to work harder than those people and still be successful. That's okay too. It's okay to work hard. And often that's the surest path to success. That's all right to teach our kids that. That is a loving thing to teach them. And there's really nobody else in the world that's going to do that for us. The proverb writer says this. There's two different passages. Both of them really caught my eye. Proverbs 4, verses 13 through 19. Hold on to instruction. Do not let it go. Guard it well, for it's your life. Do not set foot on the path of the wicked or walk in the ways of evildoers. Avoid it. Don't travel in it. Turn from it and go your way. For they cannot rest until they do evil. They are robbed of sleep till they make someone stumble. They eat the bread of wickedness. They drink the wine of violence. The path of the righteous is like the morning sun, shining ever brighter till the full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness, and they do not know what makes them stumble. A troublemaker and a villain. This is chapter 6, starting in verse 12. A troublemaker and a villain who goes about with a corrupt mouth, who winks maliciously with his eyes, signals with his feet, motions with his fingers, who plots evil and deceit in his heart. He always stirs up conflict. Therefore, disaster will overtake him in an instant. He'll suddenly be destroyed without remedy. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stores, stirs up conflict among friends or in a community. That is such a fascinating list, that last bit. And this is all part of a, one of the major themes of the book of Proverbs, where the father, and the father wants the, the children to be successful, financially successful, wants them to make a success in life. That's why he says, don't be lazy, work hard. But over and over again, he says, you avoid all the different ways that people are trying to get ahead through violence, through lying, through corruption, through, through distortion of the truth or the, the affliction of the innocent. You avoid all of that. That's one of the things that is part of the father's ministry. Fathers love their children by teaching them that dishonest gain is shameful. Ryan, in his prayer, said something so profound. You know, he said, we, we live in a culture that seems to be drifting away from many different standards. And, and one of the standards that hurts my heart so much is that idea that as long as you gain, how you gain no longer matters. There was a time, or at least there were people, who would publicly say, if you cheated to win the game, that is no real victory. If you stole to become rich, you are not wealthy. If you crushed innocent people, 
in order to be on top. You are not a winner. And our culture has a hard time telling that to our children. Our culture sees who's rich. It has a hard time seeing how they're rich. Our culture sees who's ahead at the final buzzer. It has a hard time parsing who did that honestly. Our culture sees who has the power to give commands. It has a much harder time dealing with the morality of how that power was acquired and maintained. Culture's not going to do that job. Fathers, mothers too. Part of love is to say there is no victory worth sacrificing your soul for. There is no wealth worth selling out your loyalty to God for. I don't care if other people are lying to get ahead. I don't care if other, the other team is cheating to win. Nothing is more shameful and nothing will haunt you more than a victory gained dishonestly. Folks, the world's not going to help us pass that message on. They're just not. We are the ones who have to believe that ourselves and say that to our children. Proverbs in chapter 5 says this, starting in verse 15. The father Maybe from bitter experience, I don't know, but for whatever reason, the father says this to the child, drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. Should your springs overflow in the streets, your streams of water in the public square, let them be yours alone, never to be shared with stranger. May your fountain be blessed, and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth or spouse of your youth. That comes right after a long passage where the father warns the son, you stay away from prostitutes. You stay away from immorality. And so when he's talking about fountains and wells and water, he's talking about keeping yourself sexually pure and faithful in your marriage when you are married. He says, may you rejoice in the wife of your youth, a loving doe, a graceful deer. May her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. Why, my son, be intoxicated with another man's wife? Why embrace the bosom of a wayward woman? For your ways are in full view of the Lord, and he examines all your paths. The evil deeds of a wicked ensnare them. The cords of their sin hold them fast. For lack of discipline, they will die, let astray by their own great folly. Like I said, I don't know what the father's lived experience was. I just know where he is when he says this. He says, that path, the path of unfaithfulness in your marriage and sexual impurity 
That is a deadly path. My child, don't walk that path. Fathers love their children when they help them learn to be faithful in marriage. I'm really tempted to ask for a show of hands. I'm not going to. How many of you think the culture is going to help us teach our children that? Yeah, if I had asked for a show of hands, that would have been the same result, actually. Our culture, the media, many other aspects of where our current culture is, thinks that faithfulness in marriage is an idea that is no longer relevant. Often, that is the message. No one is going to help us teach this lesson to our children. We have to step up and do it. Fathers, you do not have to be perfect to teach this lesson. I'm not sure this father was perfect when he taught this lesson. We don't know. Jesus dealt with many sinners. I don't ever remember him once saying to a sinner, I detect the sin that you once committed. Be gone from me. You know what I remember him saying? Over and over and over again? Your sins are forgiven. Go and sin no more. So fathers and mothers, wherever your past has been, right now, today, you model for your children faithfulness in marriage. And you teach your children faithfulness in marriage. This father is smart. He says, you make an effort to love your spouse. You think about how you're going to do that. You make plans to be in love with her forever or you know, if the genders were switched, him forever. You figure out how to do that. Your life depends on it, and it turns out your kids' lives depend on it too. Work at that faithfulness in marriage and teach that to the next generation. The culture's not going to do that job for us. Out of love, we do that job. We fathers, we mothers. That is our calling, that is our ministry. Proverbs 3, starting in verse 1, says this, My son, do not forget my teachings, but keep my commands in your heart, for they'll prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. So the, the father, you know, wants the kid to live and be happy. 
Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Verse 4, then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will straighten your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. And then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. Do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. <coughs> Fathers love their children by teaching them to obey God. <coughs> the world is not going to help us teach our children to obey God. The world's just not going to join us in that task. And if you love your children, you teach them to obey God. And it's practical here. Teach your children to give to God. I mean, that's what this father's trying to do. He says, give back to God some of what he's given to you. I think it is so smart. I see parents who are making sure that their children have a little money so that they can put them back in those boxes. I think that's so clever. Your children already getting in the habit of giving to God. I think it's so great when I see, and, it, and I know it's a struggle, these young families bringing their kids and, and doing what it takes to get through a church service. I'm so proud of you because you're teaching your children this matters. This matters. This is where our heart lives, is with God and God's service and God's people. Those lessons, the world's not going to help us teach. We teach that. Your children know from the way you talk and the way that you act that you are serious about obeying God. And the way that you instruct them to behave, that you want them to obey God. No one else is in such a perfect position to teach them that lesson as you are. The world has a lot of tools, and, and it's part of the deception of the modern media landscape to think that we are overwhelmed and outmatched. But I'm just telling you we can have Ryan Newell talk about this sometime. A father and a mother have a unique place in the psychology of their children. You have unique power, and because you have that power, you have unique ministry opportunities with the children that God has given you. Don't be afraid. <laughs> be bold. I read last month about a father of two 
is a doctor, is a sports doctor, actually worked with some of the local high school teams. Regular churchgoer, not a, not a member of the Churches of Christ, but a regular churchgoer. Uh, he was Taiwanese, but he grew up in Texas, went to Baylor, got his uh, medical degree from Texas Tech. His patients loved him. He's very kind, spent a lot of time with him, unlike some primary care physicians. The athletes he worked with said he was great. He was always gentle with them, gave them what they needed. He was a kung fu enthusiast. He mentored students in kung fu, even tried to talk his fellow church parishioners into learning kung fu, at least some for self-defense. His name was Dr. John Chung. He was 52 years old. He hated missing church, but one Sunday back last month, May 15th, he, he called his own church leaders to say, I won't be there this Sunday because my mother, who she's recently widowed, her husband had died, she hasn't been back to church, her old preacher is coming to her old church. And so I'm going to drive over to her town, pick her up and take her so that she can go and hear her old minister, and then they're going to have a fellowship meal after that. So he drove over, he picked up his mother, took her to the Geneva Presbyterian Church in Laguna Beach, California. Part of the problem of our culture is there have been so many mass shootings that this one has been pushed off the headlines. A, uh, another Taiwanese born, uh, another Taiwanese national, but one who was raised in mainland China, had driven 270 miles to that same church that day. He had sat through the service. He had taken, apparently, the Bible class time to bring in his equipment. And during that same church fellowship, he had chained the doors, superglued them, nailed them to prevent escape, and he opened fire on this congregation. It was an old congregation. It was very old. Dr. Chung was the youngest person there at age 52. There was one fatality, five injuries and one fatality in that shooting. And the reason why there weren't more than one is because of Dr. Chung, who, when he saw the man draw his guns and begin firing, immediately rushed towards the gunfire and tackled him, being fatally shot in the process. And that moment where the gunman was off balance and uncertain, I think, knocked the other people who were shocked into action. That visiting pastor actually hit the guy with a chair. Some of these old, and these were 60-year-old people. They tackled him, and they tied him up with an extension cord. He survived. He didn't die in gunfire. He, he survived. He's waiting in the jail. They had him trussed up by the time the police got there. Dr. John Chung was the only, the only fatality of that shooting.
I like that story. It's not really a John Wayne story. John Wayne wins by shooting the bad guys and they end up dead and he ends up alive. This is the opposite. The bad guy's alive and the hero's dead. That's a, some, that's a story of somebody who grew up his whole life, though, knowing about Jesus Christ and realizing that the movies are one thing, but real life is different. And in real life, Heroes are the ones who do the hard things, even when it costs them. Fathers, mothers too, we have been given a unique ministry. It's not an easy ministry. It's a hard one. But it is unique. We're the only ones who are going to do it and can do it. And God give us strength we will do it. Let's pray. Dear God and Father, we thank you so much for the fathers in our congregation, the mothers too. We thank you so much for the unique opportunities that you've given to fathers and the unique skills and abilities each father in this congregation represents. We are grateful for the heart for you that's shown by the men that we have here who are fathers and, and those who are acting like fathers even though their time as father has passed. God, we are grateful for that and we, we ask for strength for our fathers to serve you and to pass on the truths about you to those who are eager to learn it from them. God bless each one of us to be what you have created us to be. These things we pray in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. If you need to respond to God's invitation, we are ready to hear from you. If you need prayers, come forward, tell us what we can do for you, and, and we will help. If you are ready today to receive baptism, to be buried in the water that cleanses you from sin through the blood of Jesus Christ, that raises you up to a new life, if you want to make that change right now and leave a new person. We invite you to come as we stand and are led in song.